Hello and welcome to the C20 podcast. C20 is a group of young adults who meet together to talk about faith in Jesus Christ and what it means to serve Him. The podcast today is a sermon from our ongoing series of Luke. Today we're looking at the Last Supper recorded in Luke 22, and specifically the type of leadership that ought to be manifest in the kingdom of God. So we're looking today at the Last Supper, which dominates most of Luke 22. It's centered around all the events around the, the, the setup and then the actual Last Supper itself. It's a huge chapter. There's so much to unpack. And I really had to just choose an aspect of it and go with it because I felt like if I tried to cover a good amount of it, it would just get kind of get... It'd just be sort of skimming on the surface. And so I decided rather than skim the surface to choose one aspect and go really deep in it. And so I focus specifically on a crucial point of Christ's teaching uh, amid the, the Last Supper, one thing that he inaugurates in the church that he establishes within the church. And when you think of Jesus establishing something as a practice, as a hallmark of the church that he does at the Last Supper, you would probably, your mind would naturally gravitate towards uh, communion and the sharing of the cup, the sharing of the bread. Uh, And obviously Jesus does do that, and it's a huge hallmark of the church. What identifies us as Christ followers, in part, is observing the that, that kind of sacrament together. It's a beautiful thing that Christ has given us as a way of participating in community together. But I'm not going to focus on that that he establishes. I'm going to focus on something else he established and really drives home in the Last Supper, and that is another hallmark, servant leadership. It is something that Jesus strongly brings out in the Last Supper is a hallmark of Christian community is the way in which we wield power, the way that we practice leadership in the church. It needs to be marked by this flipped upside down inverted reality that is servant leadership. And so it comes to bear in Luke chapter 22 from verse 24 down to verse 30 is where Jesus speaks upon this issue. If you need a Bible, that kind of corner right next to Adriana, Adriana can wave. Uh, There is a Bible over there if you need one, and she can uh, give you a high five as you go past. No, don't do that. Okay. So Luke 22, verse 24 says this. A dispute uh, also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, the one and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are, uh, you are those who have stood by me in my trials. I confer on you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. What Jesus is teaching in this passage is a servant leadership. And it's one that he is teaching them 
using his own example as the model. That's what he brings up there in verse 20, uh, 27, where he points to the, his own model of leadership being the example that they are used to use in establishing their own form of leadership too. Christ has shown what it means to be a servant leader through his ministry so far. And if you look back at the span of Christ's ministry, we see that almost always he is doing ministry among those who, for the other religious leaders of the time and political leaders of the time, of which he was a religious political leader, they would not really have time for these people. He's spending his time among the poor. In fact, all of his disciples, perhaps with one or two exceptions, are chosen among the uneducated, among the the laborers of the world, the fishermen and And those are the kinds of people that Jesus brings around him and focuses his attention mainly upon them as those who will carry his kingdom forward. He is almost always found among the rejected, found among the sick, the troubled, those of a different race or gender, those children, people who religious political figures didn't really have time for. And yet those are the ones that Jesus is ministering to and serving as well. What's fascinating to me is when you look back at the recordings we have of Christ's life given in the Gospels, how many times the stories we have about him begin with an interruption. It's actually quite fun to look back through the Gospels and see how many of the miracle stories or the teaching moments happen as a result of an interruption. What I mean by that is Jesus is doing something like teaching or traveling or or helping someone and all of a sudden someone else comes up and says, help me or do this or do that. It's always an interruption. And I love the fact that the way Jesus Christ handles interruptions just shows his servant heart. He does, he's not abrasive towards them. He, he always seems to make time for interruptions. He makes time to listen to the needs, to respond and to change his plans in order to help those who a minute ago weren't even on the radar. And when I think of that, it really is the heart of a servant leader who would do something like that. And really, I feel convicted by it because I know how I feel about interruptions. When I'm doing something that I think is important or when I have my day set a certain way and then all of a sudden there's an interruption. Someone shows up at my office or I get that phone call or that email that, okay, now I have to deal with this. And I know how much it grates me, how much I don't like it. And I don't know how you feel about those things, but I think there's a bit of that in all of us. And it shows that often we like our plan, we like, we like our agenda, and it's hard to sacrifice that for the agenda or the needs of somebody else. And how beautifully Christ does it again and again and again speaks volumes to the kind of leader that he is. And Jesus points out that most people will use leadership as a way to get ahead in life or even as a way to just achieve big things and accomplish their own dreams. Leadership is the way of bringing to bear what you believe the world should be and and, and bring something of your dreams to reality. Or just to get ahead and to kind of get a leg up on other people, you seek after leadership. And this very teaching comes out of an argument that is sparked out of this idea of like, well, who is the greatest? Who is going to be the leader of the leaders? Who is going to be the greatest among the disciples? It's kind of human nature to ask that question of like, well, who's in charge? Why not me? I want to be in charge. I want to rule. I want to lead. That kind of desire to be above the rest or to kind of uh, just set yourself apart from the pack and not have to serve, not have to 
to, to bend the knee or to donate your time or whatever it is, to rather be served, there's something very, very appealing about that, and it often is the, the motive for wanting to be in leadership. And Jesus is flipping the table and saying, do not be interested in leadership as a way of accruing power or as a way of exercising authority. Leadership in my kingdom will be about serving others. So Jesus is using this opportunity to insist that the leaders of his community must be different. They must follow his example and see the upside-down value of what he is saying. This is part of the last teaching that Jesus will give to his disciples. Think about that. If you were a teacher, I don't know, Hope is one of the teachers among us, and you have your last day with your students, your last day with your disciples, your last time with them uninterrupted, what is it that you would focus on? What would you try to teach them? What would be the last things you try and instill in them before time's up? will obviously be the most crucial, the most foundational, the most uh, key issues you would focus on to really try to remind them and drive home the importance of those things. And Christ chooses this as one of the topics, to serve each other. Remember that this is the night, this is the moment, this is the meal at which Jesus Christ washes the feet of his disciples, as recorded in the book of John. And so it just goes to show how much of a massive spotlight he is shining upon this issue. To serve each other is the way to be great in this kingdom. In this world, leadership goes hand in hand with pride. That's what Jesus says when he says, you know, the kings of the Gentiles, Gentiles there meaning those who are not Christ followers, the kings of the Gentiles uh, lord it over them. It's so common to see this type of top-down leadership of uh, separation and you know, using your position to stay away from people or to kind of get, invoke special privileges, those kinds of things. And they see themselves as benefactors. Benefactors essentially means those who give, those who donate. But it's kind of, if you call yourself a benefactor, it kind of smells a bit fishy, right? It's got a kind of a bit of pride wrapped up in it as well. Yes, I, I'm so, you, you need me so much. You know, oh, you're so lucky to have me. I am your benefactor. That kind of idea, it's kind of prideful if you're calling yourself the benefactor as well. So this idea of pride going hand in hand with leadership is so uh, ubiquitous all the way throughout the world. And Jesus is saying, this is not the way it's supposed to be. One of the commentators, Daryl Box, says this. He says, in the world, the leader gets all the perks and receives service. He wields power and authority with a recognition that his rank gives him the right to direct and coerce into action. Daryl Bach goes on to say this. The church must be different. Headship and leadership are not positions that call for raw exercise of power, but a sensitive display of compassion care and service. Pastoral leadership is no different. The nurturing of communities through prayer, counseling, instruction, and compassion and other forms of service is not a matter of wielding power, but of sharing spiritual resources and energy in a way that leads by example. Real leadership serves even when no one is looking. God exalts those who humble themselves even as they lead by serving. That's the way it's meant to be in the kingdom. 
And verse 27 goes to show that this attitude is born out of an inverted logic. It's born out of this rhetorical question that Jesus asked that he challenges the the knee-jerk response when he says, for who is greater, the one who is at the table, in other words, the person who is dining, or the one who serves? Everyone's natural response would be, well, the one who's getting served, the one who's dining, the one who's at the table is greater. Jesus even kind of goes on to say, is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Jesus points to himself and says, I am the greatest. He, by very definition, is greater than anyone else, worthy of more respect, worthy of more acclaim and more prestige than anyone else could possibly be, God incarnate. And he has come to serve. That's the position he has chosen. Jesus is saying, there is greatness in this. I've chosen this way because there is greatness in it. It is great greater to serve than to be served. This type of logic doesn't come naturally. It comes supernaturally. It comes when we resist our natural impulses and choose instead to act upon things that may not seem right in the moment, but upon further reflection, we see the value of them. We see how important it is, often in reverse, in Uh, hindsight, we see how great it really was to choose Christ's way, the unobvious way, over what seemed natural at the time. David uh, Brooks, he, he, he has this sort of, this article on uh, character development, and he shows how even when it comes to character development, we often need to live by sort of upside-down expectations. And so in speaking about character development, he says this, it lives by an inverse logic. It is not, it's moral logic not an economic one. You have to give to receive. You have to surrender to something outside of yourself to gain strength within yourself. You have to conquer your desire to get what you crave. Success leads to the greatest failure, which is pride. Failure leads to the greatest success, which is humility and learning. In order to fulfill yourself, you have to forget yourself. In order to find yourself, you have to lose yourself. This is simply an echoing, a reiteration of the words of Christ said in so many different ways throughout his teaching. And the church will require leaders. Some of you are going to be those leaders. Some of you are those leaders. Some of you are the future leaders of CU20, of this church. For those who are going to be those leaders, why you lead and how you lead are critically important. Leadership must come out of a desire to serve, to be of service to others. It begins by seeing yourself as a servant and committing yourself to doing whatever it takes to serve, even if the best thing you can do is to lead others, because people will need leadership as well. And when you have the attitude of saying, whatever is in my hand, whatever I have at my disposal, I want to use that to serve others, you're on the right track. When you look at all that your life entails, your strengths, your background, your experience, your opportunities, your passion, your areas of growth, all of those things, and you ask the question, how do I take that and use it to serve others? That's what it means to be a servant. And you need to commit yourself to being a servant first. All of us, whether you are, find yourself in a position of leadership or not, we need to be servants of each other. You need to get there first 
And only then are you able to really exercise the right kind of leadership over the church, the one that the kind of leadership the church really needs. I have a quote here from uh, Pope Francis. I know he's maybe a controversial figure, but I love what he says in this in this uh, aspect of leadership. He says this, how do we become, oh, sorry, this is about servanthood. He says, how do we become good and faithful servants? As a first step, we are asked to be available. A servant daily learns detachment from doing everything his own way and living his life as he would each morning. He trains himself to be generous with his life and to realize that the rest of his day will not be his own, but given over to others. One who serves cannot hoard his free time. He has to give up the idea of being the master of his day. He knows that his time is not his own, but it is a gift from God, which is then offered back to him. Only in this way will it bear fruit. One who serves is not a slave to his own agenda, but ever ready to deal with the unexpected, ever available to his brothers and sisters, and ever open to God's constant surprises. A servant knows how to open the doors of his time and inner space for those around him, including the one who knocks on the door at odd hours, even if that entails setting aside something he likes to do or giving up something, uh, some well-deserved rest. Dear deacons, if you show that you are available to others, your ministry will not be self-serving, but evangelically fruitful. I love that. And I think there's an element of what Christ models found right there in that quote about being there even for the unexpected, even for the interruptions. The heart of leading is serving others. God gave the church leaders. That's the way it's phrased throughout, I think it's in uh, the book of Romans, where you know, it, the, the, fivefold, uh, the fivefold ministries of pastors and evangelists and, and apostles those, the, the leadership is given to the church so that everyone might grow up together. The idea is that way around, not the other way around. Leaders are given to serve the church. The church isn't given to serve leaders, even though so often that is the way that we see it work out in principle. I want to be of actual service to you today in a way that I don't often do, and so I actually presented that sort of handout that you have in front of you or nearby to you. If you didn't get one, there's just a little sheet that I prepared that I, I basically distilled some of the teachings out of a chapter of a, a John Maxwell book uh, on leadership. And the title of the chapter was on serving others. Now, those who don't know who John Maxwell is, he's, he's a Christian who used to be a pastor and then pivoted into just uh, running uh, businesses about helping le- people become better leaders. And so a lot of what he says has a really, really biblical roots and saturated in Christian teaching and in Christian quotes, but it's written to a much broader audience. Uh, and so I, if you never picked up a Maxwell book, they're, they're worth reading. I, I really enjoy them as well. But here are some of the points that he made about uh, what it means to be a servant leader. And so I've written down the five points, uh, and then I've made, made some space. If you want to fill in any of the space with some of your own notes, that is why it is there. I know there's a typo in like word two. It's not supposed to be don't reply, don't rely. God is teaching me humility by my own dumbness. But number one, don't rely. I don't rely on my position or title. So this is the first, the first thing of what it means to be a servant leader. These are just some practical considerations. So I don't rely on my position or title. 
So instead of relying on those things, I work to earn the respect of others day by day by delivering on what you promise and by serving people. It's very easy for you to do the opposite, to assume people or to sort of demand respect from people, demand observance from people just based on the fact that I am the boss, I'm in charge, do what I say. But instead, to earn the respect day by day by delivering on what you promise. And then I would say a bit further to say, go beyond the expectations of those you are serving. Go beyond what you promised. Surprise them with how much you're willing to give of yourself to them. Number two, I choose to believe in people and see their potential. It is so important that you see the potential of others. You see them as a valuable, uh, a valuable place to spend your time. When you see developing others and watching their potential be realized as one of the greatest ways you can bring about change in this world, bring about uh, more effectiveness, uh, a better church, a better community, a better business, if you don't see that, you won't do it. It will take this change of perspective to actually serve people and to serve them well. There's a really good book, uh, When Helping Hurts, that talks about this idea of, you know, if you continue to, to not see the, the, the potential within people, you'll never serve them effectively. Uh, it's a really good book if you, want, if you want to look it up. I know I say that a lot. <laughs> I'm going to keep saying it until you read it. The more you see people's potential, the more you will serve them. And that creates this win-win environment because you, they will win as a result of you serving them effectively. They're going to grow up into that potential. But also, whatever community you're part of will win as a result too because it'll become more effective, more fruitful as a result. Number three, I try to see from the perspective of others. Sometimes it's really hard to listen and to listen well. Leadership doesn't often put you in a good position to, be, to have people speak truth to you. I think quite often people are scared of saying what they really mean to you. So it may mean that you have to ask some very pointed questions and ask for really pointed honesty from people. You need to invite even critical feedback. You need to ask really good questions. It's only going to be possible to serve and to lead people well when you know their mind and heart. So learn to listen and to learn to, learn to see from the perspective of others. Number four, I work to create an environment of encouragement. I think this is so important. This is something I really need to learn more as well, is to be a better encourager. It boosts morale. It boosts loyalty. It boosts cooperation. There's so much value in just making sure people know how grateful you are or know how much you value them. I, I, man, I forget where it was, but I heard a quote earlier this week where it says, uh, gratitude that is unexpressed is unnoticed, or something like that. And it really stuck with me, this idea that you can be very grateful on the inside, but unless you express that outwardly, it's never going to do anything. It's never going to change anything. It's really just going to remain kind of pointless and, and kind of empty. So we, you need to take the time to create an environment of encouragement there's an article called From Heroes as Leaders to Servants as Leaders. And they list five things you need to do in order to be an effective servant as leader. Uh, and it's, uh, these are the five things. Listen without judgment. Be authentic. Build community. Share power. And develop people. And when I thought of those five things, I thought, really, if you did that, 
If you did those five things, you really would create an environment of encouragement. I'll list them again. Listen without judgment. Be authentic. Build community. Share power. And develop people. Each and every one of those, if we did that in practice together, what an amazing environment would be created among us. It would be absolutely a game changer. Last one, number five. I measure success by how much value I add to others. You question yourself, what can I do to help other people succeed? I think that should be a measure of success in our lives. We need to go, be, go to bed at night. You know, we can sleep at night thinking, I know that my talents and abilities have been used in a way to serve others. That should be the mark of success as well. In order to do that, we'll need to, number one, find out what people need. What are the needs around me that I can serve? And number two, we'll need to be committed to improving areas of our lives in the areas that are important to serving others. So if you look at like, you know, just self-improvement in general, you could probably improve yourself in every single area of your life there is, without exception. There's always room to grow. So you're going to have to pick and choose. So when it comes to measuring success by how much value you add to others, which would be a mark of a servant leader, then you need to think, what areas do I need to improve in? What are the areas that are most important to serving others? The last thing I want to say on this topic is the ultimate mark of success. How do you know you're doing it? How do you know that you're really having success as a servant leader? The ultimate mark of success will be that you inspire others to become servants too. When you inspire that same kind of servant-heartedness within other people, that's when you know you're doing a good job. I think it's a beautiful idea that Christ absolutely models throughout, life, throughout his life is he leads by example and he points to his example to be the model through, to which others should follow and listen to. Robert Greenfield says this, Do those served grow as people? Do they, while being served, become healthier, wiser, freer, more autonomous, more likely themselves to be servants? And what is the effect on the least privileged in society? Will they benefit or at least not be further deprived? And that second part is really interesting because we don't want to simply be... Uh, completely self-interested, you know, serving our own company, so to speak, being at the church or the community in front of you. But we need to think about what our wider impact is having on the world around us. What is the, ch the church's impact on the least privileged, the least privileged in society around us? What is our impact on them? What is our servant leadership's impact on them as well? Uh, John uh, Maxwell points to this uh, I had never heard of it, but there's a resort in Palm Springs called Breaker Resort. And according to him, it, it models servant leadership in some really interesting ways. Part of the orientation for each new staff member is they go through a few days of training, and the last day of training, that day is set aside where they will go and perform community service at one of the not-for-profits that are in the area around them, like a food bank or a homeless shelter or whatever it is. They'll go and perform community service for the whole day alongside one of the senior executives of the company. So you have one of the top management and one of the new employees serving side by side in the community. 
It's a beautiful idea, and they, and they continue to let that happen throughout the person's employment. They will pay their employees to go and perform community service on their days off. So if you on your Saturday want to go and, and you know, volunteer at a soup kitchen, they will pay you, your company will pay you to do that. And the reason they did that is because they don't see only profit as the, the bottom line, the bottom line of, of what they're there to do. They see themselves as wanting to have a positive impact on their community. The reason they exist as a company is partly to have a positive impact on their community. That is a fundamental value of them as a company. I thought that was really inspiring to hear that even a secular company who's just a resort has that built into the way that they do business. It has a very, it has a lot of similarities to kind of what Jesus is teaching here. What Jesus is teaching here is that faithful service is, what faithful service looks like is seeing the lowly place is where true greatness lies. When you're looking to how to model your life and model your leadership, look for the places where you can serve the lowest and to see that there is greatness there. We're called to follow Christ's inverted logic here. We're called to follow him in taking the opposite tact of the world. Albert Schweitzer says this, I don't know what your destiny will be, but I, know, I do know one thing. The only ones among you who will be really happy are those who have sought and found how to serve. The only ones who will be truly happy are those who have sought and found how to serve. At the end of what Jesus is saying here, he actually identifies his disciples as those who have been with him through the trials. He says in verse 28, you have stood by me in my trials. And we'll know through the book of Acts and the rest of the writing of the New Testament that they continue that trend. It actually just goes deeper and deeper where they take upon servant leadership as the model for their lives. They go and they practice it as the church spreads and spreads. He identifies them as those who have not shunned away from difficult or low service. And he says, you will enjoy the banquet with me. You will enjoy a place of honor and leadership in the kingdom that is to come. What I see when I look through church history is truly, quite often when the church has been overly interested in power, when we've gotten into bed with political movements or with uh, military movements or with sort of uh, trying to sort of make these sweeping cultural changes uh, and try to really push ourselves upon the world, we've often lost our way as a result and, and fallen into all kinds of error. When we try to take the spotlight, when the church tries to take the spotlight and put it upon ourselves, we often lose what it truly means to be the authentic church in the result, as a result. What I see is the, the true history of the church is all the countless thousands, millions of nameless, forgotten men and women who, totally far away from the spotlight, have faithfully served Christ and by doing so have brought up 
you know, small parts of the community here and there, brought up beautiful children in the Lord, brought, brought their neighbors into the church, brought more and more resources and more and more ministry uh, opportunities into the church, have just sought how to serve well in their context, not looking for claim or recognition, not looking to, to really um, exert themselves in any powerful way upon another person, but just looking to serve. They have led the cause of the gospel far more greatly than any big figure ever has. It comes to bear at every single level within church history, and I find it absolutely fascinating and beautiful. I want to end with a prayer that John Maxwell wrote down when he was 60, saying that this is how he wants to to live the rest of his life. This is his prayer. He says, Lord, as I grow older... I would be like to known as available rather than a hard worker, compassionate more than competent, content, not driven, generous instead of rich, gentle over being powerful, a listener more than a great communicator, loving versus being quick or bright, reliable, not famous, sacrificial instead of successful, self-controlled, rather than exciting, thoughtful, more than gifted. I want to be a foot washer. Why don't we pray together? God, I want to echo that prayer, and I think I I speak on behalf of all of us to say we desire this, Lord, and yet we are afraid, and we see the lack within ourselves. God, may you... Teach us, mold us, shape us. God, we see the value of this even when it goes against our natural inclinations and desires. Lord, cast away any desire we have to soften this, to to explain it away as not important or not vital. Help us, God, to see the way that we serve as one of the most important things about what it means to be a Christ follower. Help us to think often and deeply about the impact we're having on those around us, both within the church and without. Help us to see the role we have within our families, within our businesses, within our friend groups, within our churches. Help us to see the impact we're having and to recognize whether or not we are practicing the principles you have called us to and have really modeled the kind of Christ-like foot-washing service you're calling us to, to model. God, we humble ourselves before you, seeing how greatly you served us and how there was nothing you were not willing to do for us nor to bless us and to strengthen us and to change us. Lord, help us to be moved and inspired and strengthened by that. Help us to model it to each other. We ask this in Jesus, our our servant, our Lord's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to find out more about CU20 or People's Church, please visit our website, peoplesmontreal.org. You'll find the link in the description below. Also, if you have any questions, please reach out to me via email. Again, you'll find my email in the description below. 
Have a great day.